0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and the sport that best embodies me is competitive goat racing, because I feel like I kind of look like a goat when I ride.
1: (laughs) Um, I don't even know how to respond to that, Aaliyah. I doubt you look like a goat. (laughs) I feel like a goat, at least. I don't know if that's a good thing. They seem nimble, so we'll go with a good. We'll go with it's a good thing. I'm Kristen, and the sport that embodies me is probably rugby, even though I know nothing about rugby. But it seems fun because you get to tackle people and you're throwing things. It just sounds really great. Nice. The the
2: sport where you hurt people. That's Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I look like a little ball of rage. I'm Caitlin, and I think the sport that embodies me is competitive canoe paddling. If you haven't ever experienced it i i don't know that i can recommend that you should because it might make you laugh but that's about how i am at sports is it just makes you laugh so that's me
3: i watched that video
1: after you told me that i should and it's just this old man paddling around dramatically as music plays in the background it it's to lady lovely. in red that's the best part <laughs> it, it's amazing i love it
4: um I'm Cameron, and the sport, and this is definitely a sport that most embodies me, is hide and seek because it's long periods of anxious boredom followed by brief spurts of absolute terror. Oh, <laughs> so that's me.
3: Nice. Why
0: is that so deep? That is such a deep response.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So mine will be super underwhelming in comparison. Hi, my name is Amparo, and the sport that embodies me would be tennis because i love to wait until things come at me and then i just send them right back to whoever sent it to me nice <laughs> i think that's pretty deep yeah. that, there's a lot of layers to that <laughs> i'm not sure
0: <laughs> a big welcome to our special guest today Amparo ortiz author of the short story comic what remains in the dark and the recently released Blazerath
3: games tell us about your book Amparo. Thank you for having me. I, as you said, wrote Blazeroth Games, and that is a young adult contemporary fantasy featuring what is essentially the World Cup with dragons. So it's our world. It's some of the elements that we're familiar with, but there are dragons and there are magic users, or as we know them, witches and wizards. And my main character is representing Puerto Rico. This is their first appearance in the World Cup, in the Blazeroth World Cup. And not only is she trying to live out her dream, she's also dealing with a terrorist who is a dragon cursed into human form Ooh. who wants the cup canceled because he wants to set dragons free. So family friendly. <laughs> That's really exciting. I have read this one
1: and I recommend it.
3: So Yay! go buy it.
1: <laughs> I told Kristen to say that. So, <laughs> so Amparo, you mentioned that
0: Blaze Wrath Games is a Latinx fantasy with a Puerto Rican protagonist. Uh, What was it like to blend existing culture and fantasy slash magical culture while you were writing?
3: Oh, it was hard. I would not recommend it. I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) I think that it was interesting because you are familiar with a lot. And at the same time, you're creating things that are just existing in your mind. And you want to make them as coherent for people who are not in your mind as possible. And that's the real challenge, making something that doesn't exist logical and easy to follow. So I feel like my biggest challenge in creating or merging both worlds, it's just logic, narrative logic, make everything make sense. And in general, I'm not someone who makes sense. So that was really hard for me.
2: <laughs> well, how do you approach that? How do you make it make sense? Because I feel like when I'm writing, I'll I'll write this huge, long explanation of something and then everybody who reads it is like, what? What are you talking about? So how do you how do you manage to take something that's um that's not concrete like a magic system or a world where people don't have direct experience with it or even a world that does exist like if you're if you're talking about Puerto Rican culture there are a lot of people who don't have direct experience with some of the things you're going to be talking about how do you make that concrete for people and make sense
3: I think there are what I call markers And they can be cultural markers or they can be trope markers that people are relatable, not relatable. They identify them and they know what they are because they have been exposed to them. It's not necessarily about having them relate to every single thing in your story. It's about making one thing the anchor of that story for that specific reader and letting everything else unfold in a way that feels natural and like it's taking its time. It's not being rushed for the sake of pacing, for the sake of the plot, or for the sake of tension. I think that trying to make everything palatable to every reader is a mistake because not everyone is going to love everything about your book. Even your biggest fan or the reader who connects with your story the most will find something a little bit difficult at first. If they're, you know, super impassioned or passionate about your story they'll they'll be like oh this was great but if you ask them about a specific thing they might not know how to explain it and i think that that has nothing to do with reading comprehension skills that's just basically interest so you have to be interesting in a way find an anchor for your story and then just make sure that everything else makes sense and i know i'm repeating myself but try to be as logical and follow through if you promise something in the beginning of your story then make sure that you are pulling through or making sure that at the end everything is complete and you're not leaving anyone hanging in terms of their understanding and the satisfaction that they might feel of course you have cliffhangers and like Little Easter eggs for further stories or for later stories, but in that specific story, you want to make sure that everything is as clear as possible. But it's all about relatability. You have to find something that you like, you're passionate about, but that someone else will immediately latch onto because it's their favorite thing. Of course, there's no way for you to know that because you don't know everyone in the world, but there are things that are quite popular. So, for example, sports in general are quite popular. I don't know if anyone here loves sports or follows sports. Okay. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) So it's interesting that I wrote this book and I don't watch sports generally. I only watch the cup, the FIFA World Cup. And I watch it, not religiously, but I watch a lot of it. And that's actually the inspiration for this specific sport. And I knew that people have this sense of camaraderie when they're cheering for their specific nation. And they take all sorts of enthusiasm and use it as fuel to keep rooting for their teams or for their countries. That was the relatable thing for me. And so everything else is like, oh, and dragons, of course, are quite relatable. (laughs) But not so much maybe Puerto Rican dragons or dragons from other countries that weren't European. Mm -hmm. So I wanted that. That's the marker or that's like the trope. And then, how do I make it my own? That was a long answer. I'm so sorry. That's
4: a good. It's <laughs> that a very good answer, and it it sort of springboards where I wanted to go next. So, given your your self described not a mega sports fan, what what was kind of the impetus to write a book that revolves you know so much around this this fantasy sport?
3: Well, I feel like the main draw was the dragons themselves, and then when I started, well, not started, but while I was watching the 2014 Cup, I realized that I wanted my dragons to compete in this tournament that included dragons of all countries, or not all countries, but not all countries have dragons. But I wanted to center the story around creatures, mythical creatures that were so beloved and have been beloved for years. I wanted it to feel like home somehow. I wanted it to be something that I could read and think about and dream about and say, oh yeah, I understand what's happening here because... I've lived through it or people I know have lived through it. I don't personally know any dragon riders or dragons, but being Puerto Rican and knowing that you don't necessarily qualify for World Cups or you're not represented within the U.S. diaspora within these teams, right? So it's like, okay, I am not a huge sports fan. But I definitely want to explore how politics and sports are entwined. And that's my main draw, not just like the whole exploring, oh my God, we are finally on a world stage. It's also like, how do we get to that stage? And is that stage as pretty as it seems? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I love that about just even the
2: premise of your book, because I feel like sports are one of those things that um, don't make it into a lot of fantasy books. There are some, I mean, there's like Quidditch and Harry Potter. And, and I mean, like V. Schwab's um, competition with magic was kind of like a sport, but I feel like sports are such (laughs) uh, I mean, like you mentioned, it's, it's a a group experience that even if you don't particularly like to watch them yourselves, you definitely know at least one person who does. Yeah. And I feel like that's a really easy way. I mean, like you Even if you look at graffiti from Pompeii, there are people who are like trash talking about competitors, right? So I I love that you use that as a point of reference to allow people to like get into your world. And also, I love that you're talking about the politics of it. That's so cool.
3: Yeah. And it's inherently Latinx to love sports, I feel like. I mean, a lot of cultures also love sports, but when you are part of any Latinx community, You feel like if you don't like sports, you're not Latinx (laughs) here. So it's like, I don't know if anyone else around the world feels the same way, but it's like we either love boxing or basketball or we're not enough, you know? So I feel like having that also translate into a sport that doesn't exist in real life would be interesting to examine from the perspective of someone who is not a fan of boxing. I did play basketball in high school, but I... You know, I'm a great shot, but in general I'm not a great athlete. So that was interesting as well to explore. War flashbacks, but yeah.
1: So I know so many people who do not like sports at all, but they could tell you like every rule of quidditch and and just completely explain the sport back to me. And I'm wondering, as you were going about um, writing Blaze Wrath, how did you go about creating rules for your sport? Because, you know, that's like one of the things all sports fans get up in arms about are are the, the shots that are called unfairly, that sort of thing. Where as a writer do you even begin if you're trying to come up with those yourself?
3: Well, I think the most important thing for me was the positions themselves. I was like, okay, there's a team. Great. Who does what? So since soccer was my inspiration, I kind of borrowed, I don't want to say steal, but I borrowed from soccer heavily. There's a keeper, there's a striker, there are chargers, blockers, and such. But I wanted my main character to not have a dragon. So what is her point or what is the point of her in the sport if everyone else is flying around and dodging fireballs and like trying to score and she's down, not playing. And so I realized that I love martial arts as a spectator and also I would like to learn martial arts eventually but as a spectator spectator, I love seeing other people fighting and rooting for whoever is losing at the specific time that I'm watching it right because I like an underdog story and I knew that my main character was an underdog so in terms of rules I felt like it was interesting that I took it from a sport that does exist but at the same time I'm creating a new type of rule book I guess in terms of and actually that's something I I did have a lot of conversations with my editor about because she was like oh this should not be a sport of like if you reach this amount of like points Mm -hmm. then you move on to the next part of the sport this is just like first come first serve and that took some time ironing out And what happens for Lana, my main character, that took some time ironing out as well. Because I was like, oh, yeah, she just runs up a mountain. People drop from their dragon steeds and try to beat the crap out of her. (laughs) Because they need to get the iron scale out of her clutches. And it's like, great. Why? And how are they going to do this? Are they always going to be after her or are there limits to that interaction? And that was something that I struggled with. But it's important to know that there is an objective there is a point to this entire sport and not just the sport itself but each player has a purpose so just work on the positions first and then you can be like oh this is a foul or this is illegal or this is just something that no one should do (laughs) for all of you trying to write sports fantasy don't do
1: it
0: (laughs) is my advice (laughs) So maybe going back to um, the Quidditch example we've used, I've noticed in the Harry Potter books that even though the main plot is about the fate of the world being at stake, you know, Voldemort's going to come and kill everyone, the sports are still terribly exciting, even though they don't really matter, but they do. Do you have any advice for writers on how they can make a sport exciting when the fate of the world is also on the line
3: competing for their attention? To explain how it works in Blazerath games would be super spoilery, but I can say that it's all about emotional stakes for me. If there's nothing invested in terms of how the character is moving forward in the plot, then having a game thrown in there just for the sake of entertainment or for the sake of levity to take away from the stress of, oh my god, we have to save the world then it doesn't work. So you need some sort of emotional weight behind that intervention or that moment of levity, even though it's supposed to be lighter. It should mean something for the character. And in the case of Lana, it means that she gets to call herself a valid, worthy Puerto Rican. She is entitled to calling herself one of the team because, you know, she has proven that she's good enough and also she is winning for the first time this nation is represented on the World Cup stage. So I feel like just why should we care about the sport is why the character cares about the sport and what's in it for them if they lose or if they win. It's all about the stakes, I guess.
2: That reminds me of back when I was in college, we were writing, let's see, what was it? I think it was like a an extended metaphor about something, something, something. And one of the papers I was critiquing was this guy recounting blow by blow this MMA match of some kind that he was in. And he was like, and then I punched him in the face. And then he punched me in the face. And then I took my knee and I punched him. Not with the knee. I don't really know. I don't think It's really stuck with me. Yeah, Can so you tell? Punch
3: with knees um. in house, yes.
2: <laughs> Anyway, and I just remember reading this and, like, thinking, what is the point of this and I don't care because I don't care about the yeah. sport. And I think exactly what you're saying is, like, we keep using Harry Potter examples. I know everyone's mad at J.K. Rowling right now. I do like Quidditch, so I'm just going to stick with that. I, I I think, like, just like you're saying, it's, it's a fight between him and, like, Malfoy most of the time. And the play-by-play, right. at least in those, is – it it is an emotional thing too, where we are invested in the outcome of the, of the match. And it sounds like your book is set up that same way, where we're invested in the outcome of the match, not because we're interested in the play-by-play or how the sport works necessarily, but because they have an emotional investment. And that's really cool. So
3: yeah, there's some spoilery stuff as well. Kristen knows about it, I guess. But I feel like also in the sense of like, just Wrath games, the dragons themselves, mm-hmm. readers who have never seen um, mythical creatures from their specific marginalization. It's interesting to see something that's been represented so many times, but in similar ways, represented in a way that's not as similar or not Mm -hmm. as familiar so that's also something I guess just to see oh these are dragons but these dragons can light themselves on fire and they're the only ones who can do that you know and that's something that's actually relevant in the plot because they're like oh these dragons are the only ones around the world who can do that to their bodies interesting notion and every species can do something different like the Chinese dragon can also throw lightning not just shoot fireballs. And the Pangolin Dragon, which is from Zimbabwe, it can roll itself or curl its body into a ball and, like, slam itself against the mountain. There are different. And, of course, the Smegorinich, which is the Russian dragon, has three heads, and most dragons have one head. So it's interesting to run from a dragon with three heads i would not personally want to do that i don't know if you would like to do that that does not sound like a good time
1: i wouldn't want to run from any dragons (laughs) i think lana is much braver than i am
3: (laughs) you're a sensible person i congratulate you Uh, i
1: i would be fine with the fighting part but when you get the fire in there i just like it's too much it's too
2: much for me
0: (laughs) we're about out of time for this portion of the podcast but does anybody have any final comments before we move on
2: I actually, there was one more question on our outline that I wanted to float out there. So sports, I mean, in our world, they they really like, they end up in like pop culture references and they, it, it diffuses down into many more things than just like watching of sports. So how did you handle incorporating sports and references to sports and um, people feeling and thinking about sports into the, the culture and... And like what's actually happening outside of the, the arena in your book?
3: Well, I feel like fandom is something that we can all recognize, even if we're not part of a specific fandom. We know, for example, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, but I dabble in the Star Wars, the Wars of Stars. So I feel like in that sense, it's familiar, but I'm not necessarily part of that community. And I still respect it. And I still feel like everyone who loves it is allowed to love it. So I feel like just anchoring it on fandom or in fandom is pretty much how the story starts because Lana is a huge Blaze Wrath fan, and as a fan, she wants to compete. But we can also see other characters who don't want to compete and love the sport or respect it and value it as that something that is worthy of cheering for and rooting for and celebrating. In groups and families and friendships. And so that's something that's very, also, not to go back to it, but very much Latinx. You have these gatherings, and of course, there's gatherings in all sorts of countries, but I feel like it's so present in families that are all across Latin America. They're like, oh my God, did you see that this person trash talked this other person? And of course, athletes, Um, especially in boxing, happens a lot. It's like, this person is better than this other person because they said blah, blah, blah. Or they insulted this other person online or whatever. And it's like, that creates enthusiasm. And just that alone is something that fuels the believability, I guess, of having a sport where dragons and riders compete for glory. It's like, yeah, you have all of the things that other sports have, but you just toss it into this fantastical world that's rooted in our reality at the same time. I like that. All right. Yes, I like that
0: too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll go ahead and move on to the next portion of our podcast where we critique an audience submission. Uh, we keep these critiques non-prescriptive, meaning we talk about things we noticed in the in the chapter, but don't talk about necessarily how to fix them unless we feel strongly. <laughs> but if you'd like to check out the text of this submission for yourself and see all of our notes, you can view that on our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there. A quick summary of this week's chapter. A young woman moves into an old apartment, unaware that it is already occupied by 27 ghosts, who have their own plans for her to free them. What are some things we liked about this
3: chapter? Just the pitch alone. Yeah, I mean, like, the pitch alone is interesting because i that would be my personal nightmare. I don't know about you. <laughs> I would not like to coexist with one person, let alone 27 ghosts. But I feel like what I loved about it the most was the voice. It was quite voice-driven. It was humorous at times. It was quite self-deprecating at times. And I love that there is a richness to the world. You do feel like the author took their time to really understand what's happening in this apartment. It's such a small space, but since it's occupied by so many people, you feel like there is a clear understanding of who each person is. Whether we know everything about them yet or not, that's, you know, up for debate. But the author knows everything that we don't know yet.
4: I also think it's very cool that we get the what is basically the pitch for the book in the, like, the first sentence.
3: Yeah, but also that sentence, not to like move into things that were confusing for me, but it mentions something that never gets mentioned again because it's all about privacy, right? And it's not necessarily focused or driven into... Well, of course, yes, the ghosts do some stuff that are quite invasive but at the same time it's like I'm not entirely anchored in that opening throughout the submission
2: I really loved the first line. I thought it was really funny and silly, and it was more of a voicey thing yes. for me, but I can see where you're coming from on that. There are lots of really fun characterizations <laughs> all the way through, like, for a lot of the ghosts. I mean, this is something I am going to want to talk about a little bit later, but I love that we have, like, Brenda, the mother, who's incensed by the idea of the main character lying to her mother, and the germaphobe ghost, who's, like, trying to avoid the ghost who won't bathe, and Hank, who is really super sexist, and, like, I, I just loved that we got some really great pictures of who these ghosts are really fast, because they're many of them it was it was good to have some good points to go back to yeah
0: I agree and there there was some really fun humor with them and with that I am going to read the first line because I just thought it was really funny too it says if Madison O'Kirk had been aware of the 27 ghosts who regularly inhabited her living room she might have more often closed the bathroom door
3: <laughs> yes
1: I think I I'm going to agree with a little bit of what everyone has said which is that there's so much voice and humor in this And I really liked the very last line of the submission sort of grounded me a little bit in the reality of the ghost situation where it says basically that for all of these ghosts, tomorrow is sort of the only thing they'll ever have. Which I found as a way to sort of take all of the quickiness and sort of throw in a little bit of realistic horror into that. And I just really enjoyed that.
3: I agree. And I think that that's actually part of it. Like part of the appeal is that this is horrifying Mm -hmm. in the sense that why are we following this poor person who is being essentially haunted, but it's funny and you laugh about it at the same time?
0: What are some things that could use a second look?
3: I feel like it's a little bit of this, I don't want to say jumping around, but we do see a lot of, I mean, I personally was a bit confused in terms of who is person that we're supposed to care about the most throughout the submission i feel like everyone is super interesting there's not one person that i'm like or one character i'm talking about them as actual people that i know uh one character that is just like oh wow i have no idea what's happening there everyone is quite fleshed out but i'm just like struggling with who i should care about the most you would think it was madison the main i mean it does start with her but then it doesn't continue necessarily with her. So I was a bit taken aback by that. I had the same reaction
1: where these, these 27 ghosts are taking up a lot of space and we spend the entire time feeling pretty emotionally distant from all of them, even if we're physically present with them. And I would agree that I wasn't really sure who was supposed to be the center of my attention because I was being pulled in so many directions.
2: I feel like for a first chapter, the most important thing is for your your reader to not end up confused at the end. And I, I'm just adding to what you guys all said. I, I really feel like I was not sure where this was... I mean, I know that at the end of this chapter, I know that we're trying to figure out what happened to the ghosts and how Madison can help them, but... Like everybody said, it's kind of like in this omniscient voice, which everybody knows they should – you know, there's a huge caveat. I'm not a huge fan of omniscient narrators, and so you can take this with a grain of salt. Same. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to even know where we are in the story or like – and then some of the, the ghosts seem to know what, quote unquote, the story is because it talks about there being a story, and some right. of them know, and some of them don't know, and – And some of them know how some of them died and some of them don't know how the other ones died. And it seems like how they died is being kept a secret from us. But we know like most of the details about how, like, I'm I'm really confused about what it is I'm supposed to be concentrating on here.
4: So there's a part of me that wants to read this as a very deliberate subversion of the idea that there is a main character and that here the main character is the group of 27 ghosts as like an amalgamation of a character. But which, which on like an intellectual level, I find a fascinating idea. But on a practical level, man, good luck pulling that off over the course of a novel. Like, <laughs> the idea of trying to do that myself is absolutely horrifying.
1: I'm. Uh, I'll sort of payback. I think I can be the lone voice as someone who actually really appreciates omniscient narrators. There had to be um, somebody out there. I. I. I really <laughs> like them, but I think I think that the best omniscient narrators. Um, are able to tie emotion and stakes to each character that they focus on. And that is something maybe to look at as you go through and edit this, is just to make sure that if you're going to stay omniscient, we have to be in people's heads for important emotional moments and not just for funny beats.
4: I, d- I definitely have the concern, getting to the end of this chapter, I, I'm not going to remember any of these ghosts by name in the next chapter. There was there was just too many and their introduction was too short.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I loved the line about him where you'd think that he had been one of the first to die, but no.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also, there's like a passing mention of love, how that can be challenging for the ghosts to actually get what they want. And it's like, it's kind of hinted at in the beginning, and then it's completely dropped. I think that by the end, we see that they are like reading her texts. And like, it's implied that she's getting back with someone that she shouldn't get back with. And it's interesting because I'm like, great, that's, that's a source of tension. Like why, that's another thing that I think we can work with. Well, not we, cause we're not writing it, but I feel <laughs> like, um, in the sense of just like remembering that first chapters, yes, familiarity, yes, ease in terms of getting to know what's happening and who are we following, but also like what's at stake for that person that we're following. Because if it's what's at stake for the 27 ghosts, it's interesting, but It's not necessarily as centered as it should feel.
2: Yeah. The thing I'm interested in most is there are a bunch of ghosts and they need Madison and I'm not sure how they're connected, but I want to know. And so like, that's what was driving me to continue reading, but there's so much other stuff happening that I'm not a hundred percent sure that the the author would get me there. If that makes sense.
0: We're about out of time. Does anybody have final comments on this?
1: I would just say that, uh... Regarding the story as like an entity that is acting on its own, I I love books about books and I love stories about stories. So from a meta perspective, that's awesome. Um, from a more practical uh, perspective, it would help to have a little bit more detail about how literally we're supposed to be reading this at this point because it just it doesn't feel terribly grounded the way that we've been introduced to this concept of the story as like a driving force. I think there's definitely a way to pull it off. I just, I think it needs a little bit more, maybe lampshading. I I don't know if you can lampshade at the beginning of a book, but I just need a little more detail to know what I'm supposed to be taking away from that.
0: All right, well, a big thank you to this author for submitting. We really enjoyed reading your work. And Amparo, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank
3: you for having me. I knew I was going to say, I'm so sorry. You don't deserve that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: no it was great we loved hearing your your thoughts and learning more about the process of fantasy sports so that was awesome listeners be sure to check out blaze wrath games very exciting but if you like what you've heard in this podcast today please check out our new patreon page where you can get bonus content like hot seat critiques and early access to our episodes and you can even participate in a writing group with lit service crew members it takes a whole team of creatives to make lit service and patrons help us keep going If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome or whine about how your writing is going. You can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. Thank you to our intern, Lindsay Owens, and thanks to you listeners for listening to Lit Service. We will see you in two weeks.